Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the Making Milestones podcast, where I am trying to post podcast episodes more frequently. Hello, everybody, and thank you again if you're returning to listen. Um, These are a lot of fun to make, and I hope people enjoy them, even though I may not have the most traditional style of having podcasts, since I record these all in one go and kind of just talk about everything that comes onto my mind at that time. So anyways, if you're new here and you're just listening to this for the first time, hello, hi, you probably came here off of one of my other social channels, but just in case you didn't, I'm also on Instagram. If you look me up at S-D-E-Q-U-U-S, S-D-E-Q-U-S, and I'm the same name on Twitter, and then my YouTube is just my name, Shelby Dennis, and you can also look up my public Facebook page, Milestone Equestrian, on Facebook if you search Milestone Equestrian, and then I also have my website, milestoneequestrian.ca, if you look that up. So you can, there's lots of places to find me, and I also have a resources page that I added to my website that's really good, so if you're looking for resources for anything I've talked about on the podcast or training-related stuff or wondering what I use to train, there's a lot of good stuff on my website that I highly recommend. I'll also link it in the description of this podcast so that people can go and check it out if they so choose to. So anyways, we'll get right into this and we'll discuss the topic that I picked today, which is talking about trauma in terms of horse training and referencing horses and then also trauma in people. And I think these are two really important topics on either side and things that a lot of people do not consider regularly when they are looking into themselves or potentially their horse's behaviors. So trauma is a pretty regularly discussed topic when you discuss like human trauma and most humans would have things that would have been traumatic experiences to some extent and a lot of people would like look at more minor occurrences of trauma and think that it doesn't fall under the umbrella term of trauma but in my perspective there's a lot of little things that are life-changing events, even if they don't seem like they're that bad, that could still contribute to someone's trauma and like fears that last with them for decades. And I'm not a psychologist. Like I've taken psychology classes and I've studied behavior in animals, but obviously I'm not a psychologist. So not everything I'm saying on this is going to be like even founded by facts whatsoever. I'm just going to talk about how I think people's individual experiences or traumas could potentially influence how they handle horses and just other aspects of their life. So in saying this, I'm not just saying like really traumatic experiences that are terrible, terrible things that cause horrendous grief or pain in people's lives they don't always have to be severe occurrences like for example one that I would use for myself that I would count as like a little trauma in that like it was a life-changing character developing experience for myself in terms of causing me to change my behavior in a marked way and That is like this one time when I was little, we had these bags of like shredded cheese, like the type of cheese you'd buy pre-shredded that you'd put on like pizza or tacos or something. And at this point in my life, I was like very open to food and I really liked food and had no qualms about eating it and no like weird idiosyncratic eating behaviors. So I grabbed this bag of cheese and just immediately grabbed a handful and threw it into my mouth without looking. And the cheese was moldy. So after that, like I, it tasted funny. I spat it out. And when I looked in the bag and saw that it was all moldy, it completely changed how I perceived food after that. I started religiously checking expiry dates on food to make sure that it wasn't expired. I would refuse to eat foods 
if they were within like 24 hours of the expiry date and even the day that they expired i wouldn't eat them and these behaviors still exist today where i will always check the expiry date of something unless i'm absolutely positive that it's not expired and bought new if something smells funny or even if i have leftovers that i've made if i cannot remember the date that i made them i generally don't eat them like I do not want to take the risk of eating something that's bad now and that was like not a very big deal in the grand scheme of things but it was an event that altered my behavior forever because now I'm 25 and that probably happened like when I was five years old in and around that age like between probably ages five to seven so it's been a very very long time since then and I've had a lot of life experience since then but it's still something that altered my behavior and still has to this day and it's a minor thing. That's not even a big instance of trauma. <laughs> it was just this little thing that completely changed how I looked at food and the world around me. And even just little experiences that stick with you. It doesn't have to be really, you know, it doesn't even have to be something that caused you pain or fear. It could literally be something someone says. And to the person, it could be an innocuous statement that they're just saying to you. But the way in which words affect people will differ from person to person. So another example for myself is when I was a little bit older, probably more like 10, one of my brothers told me, hey, like I watched Mythbusters and did you know like the last couple of sips of your drink are all backwash? And he told me this and I was thoroughly disgusted by it to the point where now still to this day, I do not drink the last sip of my drink. And I don't like sharing drinks with people with the exception of like my boyfriend or if I absolutely have to, if I'm so dehydrated that I need to share a drink with someone, I might. But especially now with COVID times, I don't share drinks with anyone other than my boyfriend. And the only reason I share them with my boyfriend is because if I kiss him, it's basically the same thing. So yeah, that that's another instance of some weird thing that altered the way in which I see the world when it's not even like some big, bad, threatening occurrence that you would look at and go, holy crap, that is traumatic. I totally understand why you are the way you are because of that. No, it's this little innocuous thing, both of these occurrences, but they completely were defining moments of my character and the way I viewed things and daily habits that have been created from those singular events that were not a big deal. And this isn't even discussing like huge instances of trauma where someone's life is totally turned upside down after some big event. So the purpose in talking about this is that I kind of want to discuss like things that go on within human lives that we'll have a better ability to understand because as humans, we're more able to kind of understand the human experience than we will any other animal. So I think comparing and contrasting like little events that can occur and that explain why people are the way they are is relevant when we're discussing any creature because whether or not they experience the world anywhere close to how we do, there are little events that can occur to our horses and other animals that will be defining moments in their lives that will explain behaviors that come from them. But we might not necessarily know the context of why at the time. So I think this is important for understanding the manner in which animals think and how we should go about training them because these are little things that like we don't consider and it's really easy to not consider such things like even within people relationships if you don't know something exists or if you're not taught to critically think about people's behaviors and perhaps why they are the way they are it's way easier to write off any way a person reacts is like, oh, they're just being a bad person. Oh, they're just bitter. They're resentful. They're nasty and so on and so forth. It's easier to write off their behavior as being the symptom of some other issue and instead completely equate that one interaction to the entire person's character. 
And with humans, we have a better ability and capacity of being empathetic and understanding individual experiences because we can also articulate those. But with that said, not all humans are going to look you in the eye and say, like, this is why I have this anxiety. This is why I'm kind of weird about doing this thing and why it makes me uncomfortable. People aren't as likely to articulate that to everyone, especially strangers and people that they don't know well. But generally speaking, for all behaviors, there's initial an initial cause for it. And everyone will react differently to little things like things that stuck with me from my childhood. Other children could have breezed over and it would have never been a problem for them. But for me, it was. And part of this could be explained by perhaps the fact that I'm neurodivergent by way of like being ADHD and OCD. Like those behaviors are pretty consistent with becoming weird compulsive behaviors and like obsessions in that way. So that might explain part of it. But with that said, there's a lot of people who may have the same experience as me that do not have the same mental health struggles. So I think that these are all like even for human to human relationships, trying to be more critical and conscious of how other people may have experienced life and things that might have affected them. It will better your ability to deal with people and de-escalate situations to avoid upsetting people and so on and so forth if you're just more conscious. And similarly, if you start to consider these things, even when you're having interactions with people who are being cruel to you, who are being bullies, who are just going out of their way to treat you in an unkind manner, it might help to kind of reconcile with the negative emotions you experience from that and kind of look at it and go like okay like yes they're doing this to me they're targeting me they're saying nasty things about me but it's actually a reflection of their own inner turmoil and how they feel about themselves because people who are going about their lives enjoying their life and happy they're not going to go out of their way with the sole purpose of just trying to harm someone else like they're not going to take the time out of their day just to go bully someone else without any provocation they don't do that so people that spend a lot of their time engaging in really negative and nasty behaviors and going straight for personal attacks probably have their own issues that are going on and that doesn't justify their behavior it's not an excuse for their behavior it just explains why the behavior exists because they're likely projecting their own negative behaviors onto you and using you as a scapegoat for things that they probably see as an issue within themselves, whether they admit it or not, because a lot of people who are in denial will project all of the things that they aren't comfortable with themselves, that they're insecure about, or that they're unhappy with. They'll see other people and they'll project those misgivings onto that person, whether it's fair or not. And I think that's a really important concept, especially in the day of social media to consider, because People online are nasty and social media getting as popular as it has has literally given these types of angry, sad individuals a means of directing all of that negative energy onto a faceless person. And by faceless, I mean a person whose emotions that they they don't have to readily see them at that moment. So it's easy to go onto someone else's account, especially on social media, and start saying really mean things and not have to deal with like any negative feelings about yourself and going like oh I feel so bad about this it's easy to go about doing stuff like that and not have any guilt because you don't get to see the person's reaction when they read it you just get to see their emotionless words and 
the way they reply to you, if they do, doesn't necessarily indicate how they're actually feeling. It doesn't show the hurt on their face. It doesn't show anything about them. So you never have to deal with looking someone in the eye and seeing how your words affect them on social media. And I think that's one of the worst things about social media because it makes it so much easier to be unkind. And similarly, even in instances where you're not being unkind and where you're just having a discussion, it's a lot easier to offend someone on social media through writing than it is in person because you have no tone and no context. You can't watch their facial features. You can't hear the sound of their voice. You can't really actually thoroughly see what they're trying to get at, especially on stuff like TikTok or Twitter, where there's word limits in the comments that you can write. You can't articulate your point anywhere near as well as you can on other platforms. And even with that, there's still no tone of voice when you're replying in writing. And that's a problem. And I think also, like, for a lot, there's a lot of children now who have grown up in a day and age where they've always had access to social media, where the internet has always been pretty much as vast as it is now. So these people really don't know what it's like to have to interact with others without that. Whereas, like, people within my age range kind of grew up in a weird time because we, when we were young, the internet was basically non-existent, or if it was, it was, like, very non-functional compared to what it is now and like we didn't have cell phones growing up in our youth so if we wanted to contact our friends you had to call them you had to hear their voice and you had to talk to them over the phone there was no texting there is no emailing well there, there was emailing but it wasn't something that people commonly used as a means of talking to people and then as social media started to get more popular we had stuff like aol messenger or msn which was kind of like texting but you could only do it at home because it was on the computer and it wasn't as easily and as like without thought as text messaging or commenting on people's social channels is now. And then even as social media started, it wasn't as big. There wasn't as many ways to connect with other people, especially all around the world. It was more within your own community. And it was less like tailored to people's individual likes and dislikes as it is now. So it wasn't typically a place where you would spend as much time on actual social platforms. It was a lot more common, especially like for people my age, like me and my friends, we would go on like gaming websites, like addicting games or like play the Barbie games on the Barbie websites when they started having flash games. Or I used to play like Horseland or Horse Isle. That's how I spent my time on the internet. I didn't really go on social media until I was in high school, basically. And all throughout elementary school, it would just was not a normal thing. Like, I can't imagine how much more toxic elementary school would have been for me and everyone else involved if texting and social media had become super common in elementary school. Because it was really only like the last year or two of elementary school where I, we started getting cell phones and people could text. And even then, the cell phones are not what they were today. The social media apps on the cell phones are not what they are now. So there was less opportunity for people to do mean-spirited, dramatic things that children that age do than there is now. And I think that saved me from a lot of grief. And it also forced everyone within that age category to learn how to interact in person and be more conscious of people's emotions. So I don't think it would have been as easy back then with such limited access to social media and texting and all those forms of contact that are just instantaneous and easy. It would be less easy to do that without thought because you grew up being a lot more used to like having to look people in the eye and handle yourself in person and not have so much ability to do things anonymously or at least in a way where you don't have to directly deal with the aftermath of it and you get the comfort and security of hiding behind a computer screen or your cell phone screen to do it. 
So it was just a lot different. And then in high school, when social media started to roll out, that's when everything started to get much more toxic because we'd have stuff like on Facebook, honesty box and bathroom wall. If you're newer to Facebook, you probably don't know what these are because they got rid of them pretty quickly after introducing them because they were just used for so much cyberbullying because they're all anonymous. People could send you anonymous messages. They could tell you what they think of you on bathroom wall, whether or not you had it, people could be posting anonymously on there and talking about you and saying cruel things. And all of these things just kind of led a charge where it's like, okay, you have free license to bully people without any repercussions because it's next to impossible to figure out who you are. They're not, there's not a whole lot of laws in place on a worldwide scale to hold people accountable for cyberbullying and how are you supposed to find out who they are anyways. And now like it's gotten worse in that like yeah we had like form spring ask fm ask fm still exists today too but all these things that people started to use in conjunction with social media that allowed people to contact them anonymously and treat them in a certain way and so all these anonymous platforms kind of gave people the means to easily say mean things that they would never say in person because they know it's wrong and it made it so that you had less recourse for your actions or no recourse at all in most cases so it kind of was an it was a platform that these things brought was an ability to like literally cause someone grief and trauma but without consequence and i can think of several instances through some of these apps or just any ability where you could send people anonymous messages how toxic it was and how many mean comments came through like on honesty box i got some really mean comments being like really nasty and cruel about like my hair like racist comments calling my hair nappy and gross and saying that if I if it wasn't for my hair I would have been so much hotter and that it's frizzy and ugly and that I should just straighten it and those comments were key factors in changing first of all my level of security in my appearance um, and secondly how I chose to have myself look when I went to school I literally fried my hair for all of high school because of how mean people were about my curly hair that I got from my dad because for those of you who don't know my dad's black I'm half black I'm really pale and white so a lot of people don't know that because I got my mom's skin tone but that's my heritage and my hair is very much from my dad's side of the family and such comments did such a number on me that like honestly like I cannot think of really any time other than like the first few days of high school before I started getting bullied for this where I wore my natural hair down to school without shame. I either straightened it. If it was down, it was straight. Or if I didn't have time to straighten it, I was too tired. It was always up. I never put it down because after that it was just like, okay, people think I'm hideous if I look like this. And they were the problem. It wasn't me. They were the problem. They wrote mean-spirited comments to hurt my feelings. They were struggling with racism and their own problems that maybe their family perpetuated onto them. But it made a huge difference in my life and it resulted in me altering my behavior to appease this anonymous person, which is so toxic. And then as social media started to kind of get big in the horse community, it was the same thing. People were always at your throat anonymously for like how you rode, your equitation, if your horses were ugly, if they thought you were riding poorly, if they thought you were like a terrible horse person, and they would be really cruel about it. I literally got messages where people were like, your horse belongs in a dog food can. And stuff like that and that was all on tumblr where you could post stuff anonymously and then even on like instagram and twitter as they started getting more popular and youtube it's pretty easy to make an anonymous account to go and say mean things and there was also like 
Ask FM and other sides of it that you could use to offer people the means to target you and honestly. And all this stuff just kind of set people up to have traumas and insecurities created by complete strangers that are just acting like dickheads online. And it's so toxic. But as a young person who is so desperate for the approval of others, this was something that I engaged in and I pretended to put on like a brave face and be like, oh, I don't care about anything you say. Fuck you. Whenever people did stuff like that. But it hurt and it changed how I responded to everything. It then started to create this thing where I perceived basically any comment, like even questions as attacks on me as a horse person or my horses. And it was very hard to kind of start to rectify that. And still to this day, it's something that I have to work on because I was just so used to people coming for me anonymously on so many different things or making anonymous accounts to come at me and target me that everything I read was something negative. And I was perceiving everything in this defensive negative light, which meant no matter how softly people tried to word things, if it was something that I was insecure about or had been bullied about in the past, I would generally respond super defensively, which isn't fair to the person that I'm responding to, first of all. And it would make them feel like they were getting lashed out unfairly if I responded super bluntly. And it just led into this whole thing where I was just super defensive and kind of prickly and on edge because of all of these little things stacking on top of each other over the years that I had learned to kind of, yeah, get put a hard shell on and be more to myself and cautious of how people treated me and just assume that the world was inherently bad. People were inherently nasty. And if a comment even had the potential to be negative, it was negative. And that's how I started to look at things. And this is why I'm going to get into the horse part in a second, but this is why I think it's so relevant to think about people's individual life experiences that they may or may not have had and how that can influence their behavior. And it's important to try to take that with you and start to apply it to animals. Because for me, all throughout like high school, I was bullied pretty heavily by a specific person who is really nasty to me in real life. And then I also had all these cyber bullies online that would send take the opportunity to send anonymous messages to me to hurt me. So in my personal life, I was dealing with struggle and hardship with this person at school who would go out of their way to do super mean shit to me and my friends. And I also had the struggles like with my my father back in elementary school who had a massive stroke and almost died. He was then disabled and paralyzed throughout my the rest of my life and still is because of that. And it was very, very hard to kind of cope with a massive, like that's probably my biggest trauma is that coping with that massive event in my life and watching like the father that I knew become someone completely different. And we had to shift our lifestyles to align with the person he was now because he used to be an ex-CFL player who was an accountant and really good with numbers. He was a financial advisor and he coached football and was super active. And then when he's paralyzed on his left side, he can't run. He still can't run. He can now walk with a cane and without, but he still uses his cane a lot. But he was in a wheelchair for a long time after that, and he couldn't remember basic things. He would have seizures, and he really struggled with numbers and just remembering stuff that used to come easily to him. And all of that stuff was super frustrated, frustrating for him, and it changed how he reacted to different things because he was so frustrated and angry with how his life changed that it made him this angry and resentful person that never existed. And it had taken it's taken him years to overcome that. And honestly, I'll say now that like, I think that overall, it's made him a better person who's learned how to cope with all these hardships. And he's become so patient and like, understanding of people, but it's taken him a lot of work. And it's been way harder for him than it would have for someone that doesn't have a traumatic brain injury from something like that. But 
the way that it affected my entire family was pretty profound because it led to this entire like this this snowball effect of different things happening where like when he had the stroke he started to make bad business decisions because like I said he wasn't good at remembering numbers and he also was inherently trusting of people he shouldn't be shouldn't have been he made a business deal with some lady that he met and lost like thirty thousand dollars because they were going to start a business together and he gave her thirty thousand dollars and the lady was a con artist ran off with all his money and that was like the start to a lot of mistakes and then it was also like what eventually like led to him moving back to Ontario where he still lives and where like for much of my childhood I didn't get to see my dad very often I would go to see him a couple times a year and then now even still especially with COVID going on I haven't seen him since I was like fresh out of high school basically so like six years ago and so it's it's been a while and that that was like a huge key point in my life and honestly it was probably one of the things that kind of started me to tumble down the path of being like hyper defensive and really shut off and like within myself not sharing my emotions because I didn't want to add to anyone else's plate when they were already struggling with stuff from this and I didn't really know how to handle it so I just internalized everything and then that continued to snowball as all the stuff that came out of this because that that one event was like the trigger for a lot of bad things that happened after the fact because for example my brother who struggled with addiction issues to cocaine and heroin that was the defining moment in his life of his trauma because right before my dad had the stroke they got in a fight the night before and it was a really bad fight and my dad left angry and then he went to hockey collapsed on the ice had a stroke rushed to the hospital and was never the same after that so my brother's last interaction with my dad when he was who he was before the stroke was a very bad one and he thought for years and probably to some extent still does that that fight is what caused the stroke even though it doesn't make sense and it's not possible and the doctors told him that counselors and therapists and psychologists have told him that but it still sucks to have that be your last interaction with someone and it led him down a path where he was constantly trying to self-medicate to try to rid the trauma of that and the self-medication on his part also impacted everyone in the house because like anyone that has had addiction in the family can relate to like how awful and helpless you feel because nothing you say or do is going to help the person get clean more than finding it within themselves to get clean. So it's very much one of those things where you're just kind of along for the ride and you're utterly helpless. You don't know when they're going to overdose. You're always worrying about them when they leave. You don't want to come home one day and they could be doing something that to any at any other time, like having a nap or sleeping would be totally normal but you're terrified of like the idea of them just not waking up because if they shot up before that they could overdose and they could not be there anymore those are the most horrifying and terrifying things ever and that is like definitely a source of trauma and these are some of the events that like uh, like even recently on like my instagram and like platforms as people know them now one thing that is important for context purposes is any time I might have lashed out at someone or seemed to react in a way that was like over the top for what happened and not fair to the person, a lot of the times it's following stuff like this. Like I remember distinctly there was one time where I came home and I was I was driving to my boyfriend's house where at the time before I lived to the farm, he lived pretty close to the street from, from me and I decided to drive by my house for some reason. And when I drove by, I saw a fire truck outside and my stomach kind of started to drop. And then I saw my dog, Moses, 
loose on the road and then my stomach really dropped so I, I pulled over got in my car grabbed the dog brought him inside and saw that the front door was wide open and then my stomach just plummeted because again anyone who has struggled with addiction issues in the family you if you see an ambulance or anything outside of your house your first thought goes to fuck they finally overdosed it finally happened and that's exactly where I was at this time that's what I was thinking and so I could hear people upstairs I went up the stairs and like literally when I got to the top I collapsed onto the floor because they were trying to resuscitate him on the ground and like I had no context of if he was alive or dead because I just got there but they were literally doing CPR on and he was like unconscious unresponsive on the ground it was horrible and he ended up being fine they gave him naloxone shots and he was okay but it was like one of those things where like if my mom hadn't texted my other brother and said hey i'm going to mcdonald's does chase want something for mcdonald's if she hadn't said that he never would have gone upstairs to check and ask and he probably would have died so this is like one of those defining moments in life where it was like an awful occurrence and then immediately after that basically i go online to try to rid my mind of what happened and what i'd seen and how hard it was and I had people saying mean things to me on my platforms. And then like you're coming out of this really fragile, hurt space and you're seeing people trying to cut you down and you're pissed off and they have no context as to why you're treating them in the way you are. None. And it's not fair to respond to them that way. But at the same time, it's also a natural response to be like upset and kind of on guard and angry after stuff like that and to the people that like that I responded that way to I honestly probably just looked like a massive bitch who's oversensitive which is fair but there is a context outside of it that they never got to see and I think that's also why it's so important to be careful how we speak to people online because there's a huge difference between having like a disagreement with people and disagreeing on topics versus personally attacking them and I'm not saying I'm perfect. I'm sure I have hurt people online before. And I'm sure this won't be like, it won't be the last time that I've hurt people online. Because I know like some of my charged up horse opinions make people feel targeted and attacked even when they're posted on my own account. Because if they feel that something I'm condemning is something that they do, naturally, they're going to be offended and hurt by that. But the key difference between discussing like industry topics and personally attacking someone is that you're generalized you're discussing generalized things that you believe in and whether or not other people support that is not your problem when you're doing stuff like that but if you personally attack people and go you're a fucked up abuser or go onto their page and say hey i like bits screw you for writing bitless you suck you're a tree hugger that's a personal attack and therein lies the difference and i'm sure i have said nasty things online that i regret because i'm not a perfect person and i've been online a long time and like i said there was frequently times where i would log on and i'd already be in a really negative and shitty headspace because of other things going on in my life and i would take it out on other people who may not have even been being mean to me but may have said something that was striking striking a sore spot that would have been even more sore following these things so that's kind of the headspace I was in. And now to compare this to horses, when I was to go online and to lash out at someone because of some hardship I dealt in my day, it's not dissimilar to horses 
trigger stacking. And I've mentioned this in other podcasts, but basically what trigger stacking is, is if there's like a series of events throughout the course of a day or a training session that scare or stress the horse. For example, it could be a windy, fresh day. The horse is more on edge because of the wind. And then maybe out in the field, there's a loud noise. So they're already on edge because there's been hammering and nailing and construction sounds. So when you bring them out of the field, they're already at like 40% capacity for stress. And then in the training session, they make a mistake, you get mad at them, you punish them, and then soon they're at 80% stress. And then suddenly something, you you bring them past a trot pole that they've seen 101 times and never cared about, and they have this big flight reaction where they just seem to completely overreact for what happened. And that's what trigger stacking is. It's a course, a series of smaller triggers that'll stack on top of each other and increase the level of stress and anxiety until the animal can no longer take it anymore. And then they'll have this big response that seems completely unreasonable for what the trigger of the response was. But it's not just the one thing that triggered the response. It's a series of other events that led them to having that big reaction. And lots of people have triggers that stack and it'll change how they respond to people from day to day. Like even to this day, I will snap at people sometimes if I'm dealing with something that's tough and I'm kind of internalizing it and then I'm hyper fixated on that, doing my own thing and someone will try to be calling my name and then I'll be like, what? And I'll be pissy and angry and it's not fair to the person at all. They don't know what's bothering me. They don't know why I'm irritated or upset and the reaction to what they did is not at all matching what is fair but I have already had trigger stack and I'm at capacity for my stress and it's not dissimilar to horses because this happens a ton with horses especially as flight animals people are not flight animals it's not our fight flighting like fleeing from anything we're afraid of is not the go-to response for us some people maybe but not generally speaking no for horses fleeing is their safety mechanism and So this is why it's so imperative that we try to kind of look at horses through the lens of a flight animal and try to be more understanding of their emotions and their cognition because it's way too frequent to see people taking out their anger on their horse or being super pissed off at their horse for reacting a certain way and going, oh, they know better. They're doing this on purpose. Like he knows better. He's seen this a million times. But in reality, there could have been triggers that have already stacked that you never even noticed, that you never even got to see, or things that you missed. Because sometimes when the triggers are stacking, the horse will not have any indicator of being stressed. And so you have to be kind of conscious of what's going on and really critical about watching like the very slight signs of stress to even be privy to what's going on in the horse's mind. And that can take a lot of practice. And it also to some extent requires knowing the horse really well because all horses have different expressions. Horses who have wall eyes with more slara showing or blue eyes will inherently look more concerned all the time than any horse with big soft brown eyes. So people have to be conscious of like what is normal behavior for the horse and when they're relaxed, how they look, and then use that experience to be judging the horse's mental condition at any given point. And this takes lots of practice. And even with human to human relationships, none of us are perfect at this. We fuck up all the time in relationships and we make mistakes. And with an animal that doesn't speak the same language as us, this is even harder to do. So it's natural to make mistakes. It's natural to misread signals and have a horse have a reaction that you wish to avoid. 
that's all normal. But the key factor is to try to be conscious of trigger stacking and potential traumas in a horse, especially if you're working with a horse you've never met before and they react a certain way. It's not fair to bring in a new horse, have them blow up about a tropel or a tree in the arena or a horse trotting past the rail and then get excessively mad at them for it because for all you know they have their own reason for behaving that way outside of trigger stacking maybe they had a bad experience at a different barn where they tripped and fell over a trot pole or maybe when they were being taught to jump whoever was teaching them was pulling their legs or making it just a very stressful experience that they have now learned to be cautious of because of that and it's something to consider with all of our horses, like even horses you've had since birth, you never know what's going to cause them a problem. Honestly, like it could be every horse is affected differently by something. For example, Milo as a baby, when he was two, he was in it, he had an in and out stall with like a, a door to go into a paddock and out. And one of the ladies who fed him was convinced that he was like extremely food aggressive and trying to attack her because he would pin and he'd make a bit of a mean face, but like he never actually went at anyone to harm them. So that was the key is it was never like a malicious act with the intent to cause harm. And so she thought it was though. So she decided to take it upon herself to chase him out with a pitchfork and Unfortunately for him, that was incredibly terrifying and scary. So he reacted and ran out without even like focusing on what he was doing. And this meant that he caught his hip on the doorway. And so he didn't injure himself. It's not like he had a big gash on his hip. He barely had any hair taken off. He probably didn't hit it that hard. At most, he probably had some bruising and minor soreness. But the incident scared him so badly that still to this day, he's on and off afraid of doorways. And he has anxiety about going through, especially small doorways. Stall, stall doorways especially make him nervous. And sometimes he's perfectly fine about them. He'll just walk right through them and he's totally fine. Other times he'll try to run through them because he's scared. And in, in doing so, he can accidentally bump people even though he tries to avoid them and lots of people would want to heavily reprimand a horse for this because it's dangerous behavior and they'd call it bad behavior but doing so wouldn't help him at all in fact it would probably worsen the problem and make it more dangerous to bring him out of stall doorways and sometimes like I said he's fine with them and his being fine with them sometimes doesn't change the fact that that's a trauma that may or may not re-arise sometimes because he had a bad experience that he's remembering and horses have really really good memories so he remembers the fear of that specific feeling of walking through a doorway and it's something that he doesn't think about the vast majority of the time and that he may just have a memory come up about when he's going through a doorway or when he sees something. And since he lives outside in a field, it's also not something that he's had to kind of deal with himself going in and out of a doorway. And even when he was in an in and out paddock, like when I brought him to a trading stable for the winter and stuff, he himself, without anyone pulling on him or asking him to go through the doorway, he would still rush the doorway sometimes. Sometimes he'd walk through, sometimes he'd rush. It really depended on where his state of anxiety was before, but it has been such a long-standing problem because he's nine this year. So this is seven years ago. That's a very, very long time ago. But like what happened to me, like I mentioned earlier with the cheese, this was a key defining factor in his life that changed how he responded to things. And someone taking him out of context and taking him to a training barn like let's say I sold him to someone or leased him he goes to a training barn that has these types of stalls they have no context of what happened so he could rush through the stall and they'd be like wow what a bad horse he is so rude and disrespectful and they'd probably punish him for it 
but he has a reason to be the way he is and treating him like he's being bad doesn't solve the problem and it honestly just makes it a lot worse for him and a lot more scary and will likely prolong the level of anxiety he feels instead of having some understanding and trying to work him through his anxiety and fear and look at it through his perspective to try to make it better for him and easier for him to deal with these events are relevant with like lots of different types of horses even horses who aren't rescue horses like for milo's case his level of concern about like things that he finds stressful or fear inducing or that he's had a bad experience with his level of concern for those types of things is probably going to be higher than a horse who has never had to deal with anything because banksy is not very careful and he's backed into gates he's caught his hip on doorways and he does not care like it doesn't bother him at all he can back his ass right into something and he doesn't panic and he's fine with it but he's had a different life experience than milo he's not had to be on edge as much he's not had to be as defensive and careful just to survive so his attitude towards these types of things is a lot different and that's just a different type of horse he is and even for horses who are not rescues you'll have horses that are more innately neurotic or anxious than other horses because that's just the way they are and it's the same with people you have people who will be more anxious people than other people who might find certain things that other people don't struggle with to be anxiety inducing. And it doesn't mean that their feelings aren't valid just because other people aren't afraid of them. They're totally entitled to those fears, even if other people think they're stupid. Like I'm terrified of moths. A lot of people think it's stupid because they're harmless creatures. I'm terrified of them. I have my reasons to be terrified of them because I once had a dream where I woke up in my room and it was very realistic. I sat up in bed and all of my walls were lined with moths. And I screamed and then they all started flying and hitting me and going in my mouth and it scared the fucking shit out of me. So after that, I was not the same. I was scared of moths and I'm still terrified of them to this day, even though as a child, when I was really young, I would catch them and stuff and I was like not scared of bugs, but I've grown and I've developed to the point where I'm very afraid of bugs because I like, it's just a thing for me and other people not being scared of them doesn't mean my fear is not valid. It doesn't mean it would be right for those people to try to catch a moth and chase me with it. That would be flooding and that wouldn't be nice and it wouldn't help me out. And it's just one of my things. And horses are the same way. They have their things that they might be more cautious or nervous of. And without knowing the full context of their life, their lives, and even then, we can't say whether or not their fear is is valid or not. So all fear is valid. If your horse is afraid or anxious of something, their fear is valid. If they seem to randomly spook at stuff that they used to be okay with, they've probably had triggers stacked throughout the day that have resulted in them being nervous. And while we might not be able to tell, like, to, like, call these fears traumas for horses, it's traumas in their own way. Like, horses think differently from people. We can't ever think, like, even within humans, no one is going to be able to see how I perceive things without being me, let alone try to feel how another animal perceives the world. At best, we can just guess how they perceive things and how they think, and we can use research to look at the structure of their brains. But even while doing that and while learning what their behaviors mean, we can never truly see something through the eyes of another animal, let alone another human. And so this is why it's important to try to have understanding and kindness towards all. Because like with, with people too, we know that there's a lot of mental diversity in terms of like mental disorders, mental illness and differences in the brain that make people think and see things differently. And we know those exist with people. I see no reason why these things wouldn't exist in other creatures, not necessarily the same disorders, but 
if people cannot be replicated to have the exact same brain function every single time, why would animals that we breed be the same way? Like animals in theory should be able to have mental divergencies or mental illnesses. The only difference is we have no way to actually properly diagnose these, but it doesn't mean they don't exist. It would be very hard to prove and diagnose because like I said, you can't perceive things the way another creature does. And even with humans, it's exceedingly hard to properly diagnose mental health. And we're a long ways out of actually appropriately dealing with mental health issues to the point where they're actually like solved and people are thriving. And the state of like our culture and how many people struggle with mental illness, I think is like a key sign of like how far behind we are. So if we can't even do it within humans who can like straight up look you in the eye and like articulate how they're feeling, there's not a way to do that successfully with animals, but it doesn't mean that these issues within animals don't exist. It just means we're not capable of seeing them. And so like, this is why we need to be more considerate of animals in general and try to view things through their lens. And humans struggling with their own issues that will have trigger stacking and have problems go on, especially if you've grown up in an area where you've been taught like very traditional training methods and had punishment as a means of handling bad behaviors emphasized. It can be very hard to learn how to wind down your energy level and not be so quick to get angry and resort to punishment. And I say this from experience because growing up, my trainer at the time taught me a lot of things that were like hit a horse in the face, they bite you, knee them in the stomach if they bloat and like really gross stuff like that. And so that was what's what that was what was normalized to me. And then as having all these people as my role models while I was dealing with really hard things in life that stressed me and made me angry and sad and that I didn't know how to kind of cope with those feelings it gave me like license to basically take that out on animals and it was so normalized at the barns that I was at that like even things that I wasn't explicitly taught I witnessed and I learned to do through watching and so it it has taken a lot of practice to learn how to kind of wind down my level of frustration so that it's not so quick to be like screw you animal you're doing this to spite me and I'm mad at you now and not to take the frustration out on that. Because even if I don't punish animals, if I start to get frustrated or anxious in a situation, it changes how the horses perceive me. And with client horses, this is like never a problem because they're not my horses. And I expect less of them and I'm less hard on like how I want them to be than I am on my personal horses because it's way harder to deal with things going wrong and training your personal horses, especially when you dedicate so much time to handling other people's horses. It's definitely more frustrating to not have a good day with your horse after having a lot of clients' horses who are well-behaved or who you've had success with. So learning how to bring that energy level down and not be so quick to get frustrated or anxious has been like a lot of work. And it's one of those things where I've had to be really really focused and diligent at doing so because my level of anxiety on a normal day even when it's not anxiety about the horse is generally fairly high and being around the horses I've kind of had to get into the zone and learn not how to bring that energy in there with me because they can all feel it and it changes how they perceive and react to me because if I'm really up and anxious then I kind of come off as like a threat to them and this is also something to consider too because even like within like referencing trigger trigger stacking if your horse is already anxious about stuff and then you come in and your energy level is like angry or frustrated or anxious they're gonna feed off of that and it's gonna make them more jumpy and similarly even in situations where 
you're fine. Like even a person choking up a little bit more on the reins when you're walking past something they've spooked out in the past, even those really subtle body language differentials can result in them altering their behavior accordingly because horses are very, very perceptive animals. And so like, this is why I think consideration and like knowledge of how these animals think and feel is so important for learning how to handle them correctly and learning how to train effectively because it'll change how you respond to their reactions and it'll soften your approach and it'll make you less frustrated when you're dealing with them, even in times where the training's not going as planned. And it can be really hard to do, but like it's important to start to learn their little behaviors and learn learning theory and behavior because first of all, it'll help you with your horse training, but not only that, it'll also help you with like honestly handling people because the learning theory for animals is not very different from how people learn and a lot of the same concepts apply although like obviously humans are very cognitively advanced compared to other animals but a lot of the the basic approaches still apply and so this is why like i think it's necessary for all equestrians if you want to advance and like better your horsemanship and your relationship with your horse you do need to learn how to read these behaviors because it'll help you bring your energy level down if you ever start to get frustrated because you'll be able to rationalize it easier and understand where the horse is coming from easier and better be able to read their behavior so you can avoid big reactions that are frustrating or dangerous and being more conscious about like trigger stacking and potential issues the horse has had in the past that might have made them the way they are. All of these things will make you a more empathetic and better trainer as a result because you'll be able to look at it and go, okay, this horse is afraid of this thing, but they could have had X experience that made it difficult to cope with this. So this is how I need to handle it is by trying to bring their energy level down and make them not afraid of it anymore, not by forcing them through the fear. Because think about it from your own perspective. If you're afraid of spiders and someone just comes up to you and dumps a bucket of spiders on you, how are you going to react? You're probably not just going to stand there and go, okay, yeah, this is fine. I'm no longer scared of spiders anymore. You'll probably freak the fuck out and try to get away and try to get all the spiders off of you. Or if you can't, you'll just shut down and kind of go into a catatonic state and mentally check out so that you can cope with the level of fear that you're dealing with. And animals are no different. When you try to flood a horse with something they're afraid of, like be it chasing them with a tarp or trying to beat them into a trailer, they're flooded. And if they do go in and just do the thing, they're not doing so because they're no longer scared. And then their anxiety level the next time could be higher as a result. So your best bet with dealing with any type of fear is trying to lower the fear response and make them comfortable with handling it, especially if you want success in the future. And this can take repeated trials, obviously. And even with horses who get better with the trailer, you probably have to reintroduce the trailer after any time off that they've had, or if they have a bad trailer ride, or if they get off the trailer more anxious sometimes. It, it's always a process that you need to keep working on. And it's also important to remember that a lot of the stuff we do with horses as flight animals goes so entirely against their nature that it's no it's not it's not shocking to see that they respond fearfully to a lot of things like shoving an animal into a dark box that rattles and makes a lot of noise when it's on the road goes so far against their nature as a flight animal they don't want to be in a confined space where they're trapped that's not a normal thing for a flight animal to want to do because it puts them at risk of injury and danger from predators so the fact that they go into trailers for us in the first place is a huge accomplishment in itself and I think that we shouldn't take that level of trust for granted because, like, forcing them in doesn't help. 
and it just makes them fearful and they're already doing you a huge solid by going so far against their nature to pack you around on their back and to go into tiny little boxes because you want to take them on outings to shows and stuff so all of these things I think are things that people take for granted when they're handling their horses and we just approach training any animal in general, in my opinion, in a very like egotistical, human-centric manner where we look at their behaviors and we'll view them as like deliberate like attempts at defiance when they're bad or just respond super frustrated because we're used to being able to control and dominate things. And humans, as, as a general rule, I find are very after like control over the environment and other people and animals. And even for myself, like one of my biggest fears surrounds the idea of lack of control. I don't like the fact that I have no control over whether animals get sick or injured or if people in my life get sick or injured. I don't like the inevitability of death and stuff like that it scares the crap out of me and that lack of control makes is is very unsettling and within animals it's really frustrating if you're trying to do something and your animal is just off in their own world running away from you like if your dog you're calling for it and they're not listening yes that's frustrating and a lot of people's go-to thing if the dog ignores them ignores them ignores them ignores them and then finally comes is disciplining the dog when it comes back to them and if you do that you're like saying okay like you're bad for coming to me because at that point they don't think of the connection like oh i'm being punished because i didn't come to them it's like oh i'm being punished because i came to them and then people get more and more frustrated when their animals don't respond but they punish them late and they try to handle it in a manner that is either too excessive for the behavior if they are punishing or too late and even within humans this happens a lot where they'll try to punish people late for things and it's a very punishment-based mentality in society rather than education and reform and rehabilitation for a lot of things like in my opinion like like this is going to be very controversial I'm sure for a lot of people but my opinion of like even like stuff like the prison system I think it's really stupid to run a prison system where it's like okay like these people are going to go to jail for x amount of time but eventually they'll be released to society if if we're releasing people to society, we want them to leave prison better people than they were before. And you're not going to accomplish that through sole punishment and not like intensive rehabilitation to make them a better person. And I think that training like humans that have done bad things or just anyone that struggles with mental illness, retraining their brains should not be punishment based. It should be very much about trying to teach them behaviors that conflict with the bad ones that you don't want to see and teaching them proper coping mechanisms and alternatives to the bad behaviors that they're offering in the same way we would train animals essentially like I think we need to give humans that same level of decency that you see in good animal training and I think that punishment in a lot of ways especially with the amount of research we have on the negative fallouts of positive punishment in humans and animals there's a very very consistent trend in how punishment affects creatures and how as like the sole method of practice it's very very ineffective and has a lot of negative behavioral fallout so we know this but yet as a society within human to human relationships and a ton within human to animal relationships we've still not had the ability to advance very well and to actually like be mindful of how stupid it is to continue down this path of like domination and punishment and taking out your anger on creatures because all that breeds is such a negative mindset and like if you use that as your main means of handling things how are you ever supposed to be like positive and have like a good outlook on things instead of viewing everything through the lens of like oh this behavior exists for the sole purpose of spiting me and like like I said that's very much a mindset that I grew up being 
incredibly familiar with and the amount of retraining it has taken to try to like change that and even then i would say as a general rule i'm a very very pessimistic person and i spend a lot more time looking at how many ways a situation could go wrong rather than how it could go right and that's not very healthy and i'll readily admit that it's something that i do need to work on but it's something that is kind of like encouraged in a lot of ways through society because like in school if I did something wrong I was generally punished for it instead of saying like hey like why don't you do this instead and we'll reward you if you do this and it made it take longer to learn and better myself because of that and I try to do like all my podcasts like my talks online like with the with my YouTube videos or with my like anything that I do now I'm trying to just be kind of authentic and upfront and honest about stuff that goes on in my life and the changes that I've made through my writing and just general life stuff because I think that it's relevant and a lot of people try to hide where they've gone wrong or where they've made mistakes because it's frequently viewed as a weakness when really it's a weakness to be too scared to admit your mistakes and try to put on like a false persona that's the weakness admitting when you're wrong or that you're imperfect isn't a weakness it's just being honest dishonesty and being too fearful to be honest in itself is a weakness there's so much power in owning your mistakes and being aware of where you went wrong or where you've reformed your behavior and sharing that with others it's powerful and i wish i'd learned that sooner because i spent so many of my younger years as a writer online being so defensive and trying to act like i know everything and that i'm perfect and that everyone else is wrong and that like anyone who criticizes me is wrong and they're stupid and like just pretending that i'm above it all and that like i'm all knowing and that if they voiced a mistake i already knew it and so on and so forth it's been so hard to undo that. And as I've started to kind of look back at my writing and kind of be more honest about mistakes I've made and where I've went wrong and any regrets I've had, it's been very freeing and powerful. So that's kind of what I want to leave you all with today is try to have more understanding of other people and remember that like even when someone reacts really unfairly to you, you it's important to try to consider the fact that it's coming from something else even if just for your own sanity and this isn't me saying that you should let people openly mistreat you if people are being openly cruel and unfair i absolutely think you need to call them out on that behavior but i also think that it's important to not look at it as this person is lashing out at me because i'm the one who's wrong and i'm the one who has something the matter with them and that's why they're doing it maybe there's something wrong with me no when people are mean to you and they go out of their way to bully you usually it's them that's that's the problem and trying to understand that they're coming from a place of hurt is good in terms of learning that people can be cruel because of that and it'll take kind of some of the hard like it'll make you not as hard on yourself and then also from the standpoint of like in lesser occurrences where they might not be personally attacking you but where they might come off as really gruff and blunt it's important to think that like online like even people that share lots you're seeing like the tiniest particle of their life you're not seeing the whole thing at all and it's the same thing with our horses we only perceive like a teen the teeniest bit of what's actually going on within their lives and how they think and how they feel we have not even scratched the surface of this and i think that's where we need to kind of first of all be less hard on ourselves for mistakes because it's so hard to work with an animal that doesn't speak the same language as you, especially a flight animal, because they're notoriously fearful. So what we do is so hard, and it's hard to do without mistake. It's hard to do perfectly and authentically and share online when you are in fear of other people criticizing you and what you do. It's hard. So 
give yourself some slack and try to be less hard on yourself. Try to remember that if other people are hard on you, that a lot of the meanness comes from a place of discontent with themselves. And then also try to be easier on your horses and remember that they all have their own personal traumas that have happened and that might explain their behavior or they might have pain or fear or other things that are causing them to act out in the manner that they are. And like, it almost never has to do anything, like anything to do with you. Like even when you look at a horse and you go, this horse hates me, they're always trying to bite me, they're cranky, they're miserable. It's almost never to do with like you. It might have to do with how you go about the actions of training. If it's confusing or frustrating to them, that might be the result of their behavior. But it's not because they hate you as a person. It's because they're frustrated about how they're required to interact with you. So it's never to do with you. And it's important to remember this because it'll take the anger and blame away from the horse and just kind of remind you that they're just reacting as the animal they are. And then being less hard on yourself and others too, just kind of, it's freeing. Like acknowledging your mistakes that you've made will make you have more power because if you're just like, oh yeah, like I made those mistakes. Like when people try to get your goat and kind of come after you and be like nasty, if you're just like, yeah, like I, I did suck back then. Good for you. Like, it gives them no power. It takes all the power away because they had power in trying to call you out on where you've been lesser than or imperfect. But the ironic thing is like everyone that does that, like all of the riders you see commenting really nasty things on people's social media posts, like, oh, your equitation sucked, da, 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 da. Like 99% of the time, the stuff they're critiquing, they've been guilty of themselves at some point in life. And maybe they still are. Like a lot of people will critique problems that they know damn well they struggle with in their riding. And the only difference is they don't showcase them publicly. So they try to act like they're better than you. But in reality, they're struggling with a lot of the same things or they have at some point, which is why it's so ridiculous to be so hypercritical of like stupid things like people's equitation and stuff that like I horse people in general are more critical of equitation and like clothing and how people look on a horse than they are of actual like ethics, which I think is disgusting and something that needs to change in the horse world because someone could literally ride upside down spinning on their horse like a Beyblade and I wouldn't care if the horse was going around properly and wasn't stressed and then someone could look like a mcclay finalist perfect rider textbook like winning rider but if they're treating their horse unfairly it doesn't matter how pretty they look they're still an ugly person if they're being mean to their horse so these things i feel like are stuff that people need to put more importance with and they just need to stop being so aesthetically driven and like focusing on the stupid things over like what is actually fair to the horse and to other riders and I see it a lot where people will try to discredit someone's ability to speak out on something or speak as a rider or offer any type of training advice or ride horses or go professional they'll try to discredit it based off of like oh like you've never competed to x level or done this and you only ride like young horses or blah 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 they'll have every excuse in the book and it's like okay like great but like there's a lot of different paths you can take as a rider and even like as a professional trainer. Like you don't need to, the, the only way to be a pro is not just competing at a meter 60. That's just a way you can be a pro. If your goal is to go to the Olympics and ride other people's horses as a professional rider rather than like a trainer in that you're developing young horses from the ground up type thing, that's your, that's your call. If that's what you want to do, good for you. Awesome. But not every trainer even needs to show. Not every person who wants to work in the horse world even needs to be a rider. Like there's a lot of different paths you can take and still be involved with horses. So don't let someone else's ignorant, rigid view of how you should be color what you actually choose to do.
That's the important thing to do because I've spent a lot of years having people try to come at me and be like, oh, well, you've not ridden to meter 60 and my trainer has. So who are you to say this about equine behavior? And it's like, okay, great. I don't care that your trainer has ridden to meter 60 because that doesn't mean they have an education on equine science. So those two things are not mutually exclusive at all. And anyways, so it's, it's, it's a silly thing to do and people will do it to try to discredit you and what you say or make you feel small. And the key is to not let them have that. Like, don't let them have like a monopoly on trying to gatekeep what a professional rider looks like or what a show jumping rider looks like or what a hunter rider looks like. Everyone's bodies and minds are different and the way you ride is going to reflect that. Someone who has super long legs and a short torso like me is not going to look the same on a horse as someone with really short legs and a longer torso. And there's a lot of different body types. They'll all look different. Equitation is not this rigid, stupid thing that you have to like everyone looks the same because everyone has a different body. Equitate with the body you have. And anyone that says otherwise can go stub their toe on a freaking shoelace. I, I don't even know what that saying is. That was really stupid. But anyways, anyone who says differently can go and like shut up and go be miserable elsewhere because that's not their place to be. And I think we would all do better if we were less hard on ourselves and if we tried to be more understanding of our horses and less angry and less punishment-based all of us would be happier and more harmonious and it would also change our human to human relationships. The horse world is just so rigid and it lacks diversity and it lacks a lot of kindness and people let status give them a license to mistreat people. So if they feel like, oh, I've ridden to X level and I ride with this trainer or I'm, I've this accomplished on the show circuit, they think that gives them license to talk down to people who aren't like that and that's not okay. And that's a big change that needs to happen in the world as we know it. And I think the consideration for our horses' traumas and anxieties is important as well as your fellow humans. And like I said, don't let this stop you from holding people accountable for bad behavior because trauma doesn't ex excuse being a bad person. It might explain why someone is the way they, they are, but it doesn't mean that their behavior is justified and that it's fair to take that out on other people. That's not how it works. But it means that they are salvageable and that they're not just a cruel and evil person and that they're just someone that needs to learn how to cope with whatever life is throwing at them. So I think that level of understanding could actually save a lot of relationships with people, especially if you ever get into any of these problems with like a friend or a family member. And also it can help you with yourself and your own self-esteem with not taking it hyper personally when people treat you like garbage because they feel like garbage themselves. And then with the horses, it'll also just make you a more kind and empathetic person to the horse. And in turn, that'll actually better your ability to make change with the horse because a highly stressed horse is not likely to learn. We know this to be true. It's a fact. And so if you can bring down the stress level and be more understanding and kind and forgiving towards your horse, it will by default affect how they are able to be trained. It'll make it easier and more seamless to do this. And so there's nothing to really lose by it because it'll also just make your own mental state better from my experience. And that's kind of like I like the podcast because I can be a lot more like upfront and like honest about things and just kind of try to authentically articulate and explain things in a matter that I can't in the same way on like YouTube and stuff because people typically don't listen to me babbling for like an hour to an hour and a half on YouTube and I sure as hell can't write essays in printing like that that people are actually likely to read most of the time so this is kind of the best way to articulate these thoughts and actually have like a tone of voice attached so people can hear me out and kind of 
see how I feel. And like, even for people who don't like me or find me irritating as hell online because of what I say about horses, they can listen to these things if they so choose. And it might give them another perspective that helps them recognize where I'm coming from. And maybe if more people did stuff like that and were more like, like more honest and authentic about things, we would all be able to understand more of where they were coming from. But that's the issue with social media is that there's just so much that's hidden and not talked about that it's really difficult to like understand when people are being authentic and honest and when people are trying to mock you or when people are trying to just solicit attention and so on and so forth. There's so much that people are like really suspicious of on social media, I find. And it can be hard to like, participate in being honest in fear of getting attacked for it or people using it as a means to use against you at some point and it can also be hard to yeah open yourself up like that to the public and whatnot so I totally understand all of those things and I hope that like the changes that will be made to social media will help people like reduce the amount of bullying that occurs and I just hope that it'll also help people with resources to be better and more fair to their horses because I think social media offers a lot of really good and important knowledge that can make people better horse people if they are open to it. And just speaking from my personal experience, I don't think my growth as a rider would have been possible without social media because my growth and like desire to look out at things and start changing how I do things and question what I was taught to be wrong. It was reliant on reading other people's posts on social media, reading studies that they shared, having people say things to me that while they might have been mean, started to make me question things as I knew them. And this isn't to say that you should be mean to people to help them question, but sometimes the things you say and put out online may cause someone to start shifting their views. And what I've found for myself personally is that keeping it to my pages and posting my opinions on methods and stuff on my pages, it doesn't get perceived as threatening in the same way that commenting on someone's post directly would. So that's why I try to do a lot of my stuff on like my podcast, my Twitter, my Instagram, just doing it on my own pages because then people who don't like or agree with what I'm saying can either unfollow or mute me or block me. And then the onus is on them to handle themselves if they can't cope with what I'm saying. Whereas if you take it to them and you're like, hey, in this in this photo, your horse is highly stressed and this is bad they're going to feel targeted and then it's almost never that they'll receive that properly. And it's almost never that anything you'll say will land, even if it's true. And even if it's helpful from the standpoint of your offering advice, that might make a difference. It almost never works. So it's very ineffective from a learning and teaching standpoint, which is why I try to do these things on my channels and offer like the resources page on my website and all of that stuff in hopes of helping people better their horsemanship or maybe learn about stuff that's been going on with their mental health and not feel so alone or not feel crazy for feeling a certain way or for having a certain phobia or so on and so forth. I want to normalize those types of things because for so long throughout my childhood, I just felt like a freak. I always thought there was something wrong with me. I thought I was never on the same wavelength as anyone else. And I just felt kind of like off to the side in the shadows. Like I would have friends and I would love my friends and I would like hang out with my friends but I just always felt like I was on one platform and they were on a slightly different one and we were always shifting past each other not quite at the same wavelength and 
learning more about myself the last while with like my mental health and getting more of a handle on like my ADHD and like learning about like OCD and stuff. All of the stuff that helps with that was also on social media. It provided me with a lot of resources and allowed me to feel less alone all because people took it upon themselves to share their personal struggles and share information about the stuff that they were personally dealing with. And that matters because if I had learned that all sooner and if I had been understood more by like my elementary school teachers when I couldn't focus instead of them getting mad at me if they had just stopped for a second and understood or looked at it and gone oh my god this person could have ADHD or some other type of mental divergency that makes them different it could have made my life so much easier way longer ago and it could have helped me come to terms with who I am way faster so even if I can do that for one person I have succeeded and that's all I'm hoping to do with these even when I share my really opinionated views on horse training and things that I don't like which like the predominant one that everyone I'm sure knows about me is that like turning your horses out that's like something I preach all the time and people who aren't able to do that probably find me extremely annoying and don't necessarily like hearing what I have to say which is valid their their opinion is valid that's great that's fine however I went for years not providing my horses with enough turnout and being pissed off when they were bad or bolting under saddle or spooky or always hot could never relax I would get mad at them for this and I was frustrated and I could have saved myself a ton of frustration if I had learned what I know now sooner and so this is why I am so passionate about sharing these things and I like I am very opinionated and I'll own that and sometimes my opinions will come off blunt but also like when I'm writing things and sharing them online without voice it's a lot harder to kind of view it through the lens of someone else reading it who doesn't know me and who might not be familiar with my content. So then that in turn can cause it to be received differently. And I found that people will even take things from my posts that were never even said in the post because they'll be reading it in a certain headspace and just kind of already on the defense feeling like they're attacked. So I've had people share my turnout post and be like, oh, so we're all abusive because our horses don't live outside 24 seven. It's like, no, the post is about limiting stall time as much as you can. It's not saying you're bad if your horse is stalled. It just says that my horses are turned out 24-7. I found this to be great. That doesn't mean that anything else is bad. There's more than one viewpoint. It's not all black and white. There's a lot of layers to life. It's not just good or bad and so on and so forth. Don't view things in such a black and white light. That's the best thing I can offer you guys as advice. Try to view things as a multi-layered, a, a spectrum of colors that exist and that there's a lot of stuff that falls in between. It's not just good or bad, ethical or unethical. There's a lot of layers and levels to these things. And anyways, I've been blabbering for a long time. I appreciate all of you that actually listen to these in full, if there are any of you that actually do, because I feel like I would probably fast forward through hearing myself, in all honesty. Um, and so... I just appreciate all of you for supporting my accounts and I hope that like honestly if I've made a difference to like anyone's mental health or horsemanship that's like all it, I need to hear because like even one person even if I've bettered one relationship with someone's horse or their relationship with themselves or helps them figure out a mental issue that they've been struggling with that would be ideal and that's all I'm trying to do in sharing my experience which is why I think it's such an important thing for me to always reference again that like 99.9% .9 of the things that I take issue with in the horse world in terms of like abuse or mistreatment or bad horsemanship or inability to read equine behavior the vast majority of these things I have once been guilty of myself and that is why I'm so passionate about talking about them and sharing them because I don't want people to make the same mistakes as me or if they already have I would like to lessen the impact of said mistakes by helping correct it sooner but I try to do it in a way that will feel less targeted which is why these 
podcasts and videos and stuff are so important. So again, thank you all for your support. If you want to support the podcast, I have a Patreon account that you can subscribe to for as little as a dollar a month and get behind the scenes footage and um, also access to like discounted merch. And then there's also different tiers if you're looking for like training help and whatnot. And I've been super busy. So I don't I haven't been updating the behind the scenes content a lot. So it's largely for supporting the podcast if anyone is interested. And then if you offer the training help, you get like a private texting line where you can contact me on like Messenger, Facebook or WhatsApp or text and iMessage um, if you so choose. And that's like the more expensive tier if that's what you're looking for. Otherwise, you can get like early access to videos and other stuff um, through the Patreon. And I try to update it as much as possible. And as I start getting um, less busy or as I start being able to use my Pivo more to film content, I'll also be adding more stuff to that. And it also gives you like early access to like, yeah, photos, content for videos that I'm making and all sorts of fun stuff like that. So you can check all that out on the Patreon if you go to Patreon slash SD Equus, S-D-E-Q-U-U-S. And then I also have like my YouTube channel. I'm going to be uploading a video really soon that you guys can check out of a barn vlog and updates on what's going on with my horses. Then I'm also active, active on my blog, Instagram, Twitter, which you can find the links in the description of this episode and all that jazz. So again, thank you for watching. I appreciate the support. If you want to support the podcast, check out the Patreon. Or there's also just like little links that you can do for like my Amazon associate account if you look at the pages i have on my website if you buy anything through there it gives me a fund that i can use to get stuff for the horses through there and then also i have like yeah the patreon where you can do the monthly subscription or if you're not into monthly subscriptions there's also like a paypal link for my patreon where people can donate to support the podcast for stuff to like update my equipment like get a microphone so that my audio doesn't suck and stuff so i'm gonna be working on that and regardless i'm still trying to save to do that type of stuff it's just not a huge priority in terms of spending money because i'm working on some other endeavors right now but one day and anyways so thank you for your support i hope that this taught you something or that it made you reconsider certain things or that it helped you in some way and I appreciate all the love and support and I am very, very glad that people listen to these and I hope that it resonates with people. So thank you again. Thank you for listening. I'm going to keep trying to update my podcast more regularly. Also, anyone that wants to suggest like podcast topics or things that they would like me to discuss, you're welcome to send me an email via the contact form on my website or my Instagram page and just send me any topics that you would like to request and I'll look into it. And Patreon subscribers also get first priority for all those things and also for asking questions for Q&As and whatnot because I do have a Q&A with my friend who is a behaviorist that's going to be coming up on my podcast as soon as both of us have our schedules aligned so that we can film them. So anyways, thank you all. Have a great day. I hope you have a beautiful life and I hope your horses are doing awesome. Good for you and everyone have a swell day.